0: We're going to get into the Word today. As Fran shared with you, we read the book of Titus this weekend in our rooted Bible reading calendar. If, uh, if you've never followed along with our Bible reading calendar, we encourage you to do so. You can get the, the calendar each month out here at the welcome table. And, or you can get it on our website for, for those that are on the digital campus. And we read a chapter a day together. And if a chapter is too much, that's okay. We've got a passage or we've just got a verse. Hey listen if if you're not reading the Bible at all and you start reading one verse a day Mathematically, that is exponential. That is infinite growth, right? So, uh, so even if you just read a verse a day, that is a great start. But as a church, we read a chapter a day together, and, and it's just great to be on the same page. And whenever we're together, we can talk with people about what we're reading and what God is speaking to us. And so this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we read the book of Titus. It's only three chapters, so only took us three days to read it. And what I'd like to do today is dig into the book of Titus a little bit. And, and really see what, what was the main challenge, what was the main thing that, that Paul was trying to teach to Titus, and, and that God is trying to speak to us today uh, in, in our present day. So the title of the sermon today is Nothing More, Nothing Less. Nothing More, Nothing Less. And, and we're going to explain here in just a minute what that means and, and where that came from. But if you've got your notes with you, you can find the notes inside your bulletin. If you're watching this video, you can find the notes attached to the video. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can find the notes attached to the podcast. And uh, you can follow along with us in the notes. You can grab a pen and fill in the blanks with us and, and have these notes for future reference. But our big picture point today is this. Like Titus, we are called to make a stand for good doctrine in the church. Right doctrine leads to right living. All right, let's just camp out right there for just a minute. Yeah, right doctrine leads to right living. Well, what is doctrine? Doctrine is a teaching on any subject. So it could be a teaching on prayer. It could be a teaching on morality. It could be a teaching on finances. It could be a teaching on salvation. It could be a teaching on on the Godhood of Jesus. Whatever, a doctrine is a teaching on any subject. And so we want to talk today about good doctrine. We're going to talk today about sound doctrine because that's the, the, the phrase that Paul uses as he writes to Timothy. Sound doctrine. Why is this so important? Because right doctrine leads to right living. And if that's true, then of course the opposite is true. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. We want to live right before the Lord. We want to stand before God, mature in our faith, because we followed Him and we lived right for Him. We want to hear, when we stand before the throne of God, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that means that we need to have good doctrine. Now, I want to focus on one point, and that is this. Good doctrine in the church. In the church. What we're talking about today is in the church. What we're talking about today is encouraging other believers and, and dealing with issues amongst other believers, right? This is important. Let's, let's just get right to uh, uh, the Bible and, and highlight this in First Corinthians. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. He says, I wrote in you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Right? And so Paul was talking about, listen, we can't make a decision to stop hanging out with sinners because otherwise we would just have to leave this planet because there's sinners everywhere. He says, but we need to deal with stuff within the church. He says, I don't have anything to do with judging outsiders, but within the church, this is stuff we need to deal with. And I believe that the church has spent way too much energy and has spent way too much time. I'm talking specifically here in America. We have spent way too much time trying to get a sinful society to follow the church's rules. And what a waste of time that is. When in reality, if we as a church would actually deal with ourselves within the church then we would have a lot more right living within the church, which means we would have a lot more power and influence in society to see more people come to find the gospel and more people come to find Christ. So everything I'm talking about today is us dealing with ourselves within the church. How do we deal with people outside the church? We love them, we show them the goodness of God, and we share the gospel with them and we invite them to salvation. But we don't go around trying to apply godly rules to ungodly people. It doesn't work. You're just going to get frustrated. It's just a waste of time. But within the church, we need to deal with these things. So you guys with me? So going back to our initial point, like Titus, we are called to make a stand for good doctrine in the church. Right doctrine leads to right living. You guys with me so far? All right, so that's the foundation. That's That's where we're going today. So let's talk about Titus. Let's read uh, our first passage from Titus, and then let's talk about what we know about Titus and what we know about the situation here that Paul is writing to. We're going to pick it up in chapter 1 and verse 10. It says this, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for what? For sound doctrine. All right, so Paul is coming on kind of strong here. So let's, let's talk about what we know about this situation and why Paul is writing to Titus. First off, who is Titus? We don't know a ton about Titus, but we do know this. We know that he was a Gentile, right? He was not Jewish. And, and so at some point, the gospel came to his city, and he heard the gospel, and he gave his life to Christ. We don't know if Paul shared the gospel with him. But there's a chance that he did because Paul refers to him as his true son in the faith. And so Paul very well may have led him to salvation. Whether Paul led him to salvation or whether Paul met him later on, Paul took him under his wing and began to disciple him and to raise him up. And Titus accompanied Paul on, on a couple of Paul's missionary journeys as he traveled around planting churches. What we do know is that Paul thought very highly of Titus. First, Paul actually used Titus as a test case against circumcision. Right? If you know uh, the early history of the church, uh, as the gospel began to spread beyond Jewish people, there, there, there was this great debate, this, this ongoing conversation. Do you have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus? And, and that debate went all the way up to the apostles, the elders of the first church who had to make a decision in the Holy Spirit that would then affect all churches for ages to come. And they made the decision that circumcision was not a requirement. It was part of the Jewish law, but it was not a part of the requirement to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Titus was actually the test case for this. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul said, not even Titus was compelled to get circumcised. We know that Paul trusted Titus Because in his dealings with the church at Corinth, Paul actually sent Titus as his representative for two reasons. One, to correct things that were wrong. So he trusted Titus as a leader that he could go into an unhealthy church situation and help turn things around. He also sent Titus to collect the offering that was being made to help support the church in Jerusalem that was suffering from a great famine. So he also trusted Titus with the money, which is a great level of trust. Amen? So Titus was, was somebody that Paul raised up, somebody that, that Paul trusted greatly as, as a leader in the church. And what we know is that Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, was, was in jail in Rome. And then after the book of Acts ends, we know that Paul got out of jail And was free to go and do ministry again. And the first thing that Paul did is he went and he found his disciple Timothy. And he established Timothy in Ephesus as the senior pastor of the churches in Ephesus. Then he went and found Titus, and they went to Crete. Now, Crete is an island off the southern shore of Greece. It's kind of right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It is a large island, right? It's not a small island. It's a very large island. And so they went there, and they preached the gospel, and they began planting churches. And then when Paul needed to move on somewhere else, he left Titus there as the senior pastor of all the churches on the island of Crete, About a year later, after leaving Titus there, Paul writes a letter to Titus to help give him instructions and encouragement as he's leading this church on Crete. And that's where we get the book of Titus from. Now, we don't know how long Titus stayed on Crete exactly. What we do know is this, is that uh, at some point, Paul was rearrested, ended up back in jail in Rome, and that Titus came to visit him in Rome, And then when he left Rome, he went to Dalmatia, which is kind of like modern-day Croatia. Um, and he may have been making his way back to Crete. The Bible doesn't tell us. Church, I don't know what to call it. Church tradition. Church tradition believes that he went back to Crete and he spent the rest of his life on Crete and died at the age of 93 years old. We don't have historical record of that, but that's what the church tradition says. So that's what we know about Titus, that his calling, his place was on the island of Crete. Why is that significance? Because to put it lightly, the people of Crete had some character issues. They had some character flaws. What did we just read right here? Paul actually said, one of their own prophets, one of their own people. Paul's like, listen, I'm not saying this about the people of Crete because it would be rude of me to say this about the people of Crete. But one of their own prophets, one of their own philosophers says this about the people of Crete. He says, Cretans are all liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. All right? All right. That is not a ringing endorsement of your culture, all right, that the people of Crete are all liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So much, though, that to this day, to call somebody a Cretan is a derogatory term. I don't know if people use that term anymore. The last time I can remember hearing it is in Monsters Incorporated, the Disney movie. All right? Mike Wazowski calls somebody a Cretan. All right? So I don't know that we use that word much anymore, but it's not good when the name of your people becomes a derogatory term. In the Roman Empire, the Cretes were so infamous for their bad behavior that they actually came up with a term which was to Cretize. To Cretize was to lie and deceive. So if you were going around Cretizing... That means you were going around lying and deceiving. And they even had a phrase which was to cretize a crete. Which basically means to lie to a liar. All right. If, if you were lying to a liar, they'd say you're cretizing a crete. All right. So, so needless to say, the island of Crete did not have a very healthy culture. And yet the gospel came to this culture. And people were beginning to give their lives to Christ. But this behavior needed to be addressed right this behavior needed to be addressed and that is why Paul is writing to Titus because in the midst of a sinful culture the church was rising up and these sinful behaviors in the church needed to be dealt with how did he deal with them right doctrine leads to right living are you guys with me now, I believe this is very relevant today because the culture of America today is not doing very well. All right, we have a very sinful culture. Hopefully, 2,000 years from now, people aren't calling people Americans as a derogatory term, right? But we live in a very difficult culture. And as the church rises up in this culture, we need to do the same thing. We need to be willing to deal with our own behavior within the church Right doctrine leads to right living so we as a church can be a light in a darkness that God called us to be. Amen? All right. I know when you start talking about dealing with behavior, it gets real quiet. Come on, pastor. Can't you just preach about fulfilled promises and God doing good things? No, we're going to preach about dealing with behavior. All right. We're going to preach about dealing with behavior. So, they had two issues of false teachings in the churches there in Crete and I believe that these are two categories of false teachings that we still need to deal with today. The first one is this it's adding too much to the gospel. Adding too much to the gospel. Let's talk about this. Well what does this mean? Well Paul wrote here that there were rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. And this was not a problem that was unique just to the churches on Crete. This was a problem that all of these newly formed churches around the Roman Empire were facing, is that Jewish men would come into the church and start telling people, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to become Jewish. Which means you've got to follow a bunch of Jewish rules. What were they doing? They were adding too much to the gospel. They were adding on things that did not need to be there in the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul wrote this to Timothy. He talked about men who forbid marriage and abstain from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth, right? So in that church, they're dealing with men were coming in and saying, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't get married. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't eat these certain foods. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and he said, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right? So in the church in Colossae, not only are they making rules about food and drink, but they're making rules about festivals. you got to do this festival, and you got to celebrate the new moon, and, and there's hundreds of rules for the Sabbath and this and that. They were adding too much to the gospel, making it too difficult. Are we adding too much to the gospel, making it too difficult for people? to find Christ and to engage in his saving work. They were adding too much to the gospel. I think another category of adding too much to the gospel would be polytheism, right? Which is you can have Jesus and you can have a bunch of other gods too. That's adding too much to the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the only God. He is the only one to be worshipped. All other gods are to be forsaken. That's adding too much to the gospel. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. We just read this a few days ago in our rooted Bible reading. Paul wrote, "But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ." Well, when we add too much to the gospel, when we add other rules to the gospel, when we add other gods to the gospel, it's going to lead people away from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. The second false teaching that they were dealing with in the church is allowing too much in the gospel. All right, so we've got adding too much to the gospel, but we also have allowing too much in the gospel. Hence why today's message is called nothing more and nothing less, right? Because we don't want to have more than the gospel because the gospel is enough. But listen, we also don't want less than the gospel because less than the gospel is never enough. What do I mean by less than the gospel? I mean that we are allowing too much in the gospel. We have watered down the gospel to say that the gospel is that God loves you and God died for you. And all you got to do is is say his name and that's it. Otherwise, you can live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do. That's allowing too much in the gospel. So I want to read two other passages from Titus. One actually, Fran already read to us today. So so the Holy Spirit has got us in alignment. He's got us focused on the same passages. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Let's stop right there, Rachel. Go back. There we go. Listen, this is a great, a very simple presentation of the gospel. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Right? So the grace of God appeared through Christ Jesus. He died on the cross, which made a way for all men to find salvation. But to receive that salvation, we must make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Now, As Jesus is the Lord of our lives, what does God do next? He instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What does that mean? That means that there is a certain way that God wants us to live. There is a certain standard and expectation by which he expects his church and his people and the followers of Christ to walk by. And this is the hard part in our culture today. People don't mind Jesus. What they mind is when we say that Jesus has a standard. Continuing on in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. So another part of living for the gospel is that our eyes are fixed on Jesus, a great expectation of the day that he's going to come back. And draw all of his followers together to himself. What did Jesus do? Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And then after this great presentation of the gospel, what does he say to Titus? These things I want you to speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He's like, this is what I want you to teach the church. I want you to teach the church that Jesus died for them. And that Jesus redeemed them from every sin in their life. But now that Jesus has redeemed them, he has called them to deny ungodliness. To turn away from the worldly desires that are in our flesh. And to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. And while you're doing that, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in great expectation that he's coming back. That's the gospel message that he wanted Titus to teach in the church. And that is the message that we are teaching in the church today and the message that the church needs. In chapter 3, Paul does it again. He presents the gospel as, as we heard earlier. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, how did it appear? Through Christ Jesus. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, when we receive the gospel of Jesus, the holy spirit is poured out within us. The holy spirit makes us brand new. And then he concludes in verse 8 by saying this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want to speak I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. So again, we believe in God, we receive the gospel and then what do we do? We engage in good deeds. There is an expectation of a lifestyle. There is an expectation of good deeds that comes with the gospel. And to give the gospel without that expectation is allowing too much in the gospel. So what does he want Titus to do? He wants Titus to teach sound doctrine. What does sound doctrine mean? What does this word sound that Paul is using? It means this, that which has not been corrupted, diluted, or distorted. It has not been corrupted, diluted, or distorted, which means it's healthy It's an accurate representation. So good doctrine, sound doctrine, is an accurate representation of God's truth. That's what sound doctrine is. It has not been corrupted by the culture. It has not been diluted by allowing worldly things to come into it. It has not been distorted by rules of men or ideas of men. No, it is a healthy, accurate representation of what God expected. And then I wrote this in your notes. I read this from Frank DiMaggio. He said, do not allow the culture to become your Bible. Do not allow the culture to become your Bible. Why am I preaching this today? Because I'm seeing this more and more in the church across our country. That we have allowed the culture to become our Bible which means we live by what's culturally acceptable. We live by what the culture says. We live by what is popular or acceptable in the moment. We live by the whims of what we want to do and what's going to make us feel good. And then we create doctrine around those things. We create standards based on those things, and we have allowed the culture to become our Bible. Don't allow the culture to become your Bible. Let's let the Bible be the Bible. And let's let the standard of God's truth guide the standard of our lives. And let's let the Holy Spirit begin to bring our lives into alignment with the standard of righteousness and sensible and godly living that the Bible calls us to. And if we would do that, I believe as a church, we would have greater influence in a dark culture and we would see more salvations and we would see more lives being changed. Got really quiet in here. Whew, it got really quiet. Come on. What does this mean? This means we need to deal with wrong teaching in the church. We need to confront sin. And what does that mean? Does that mean that we become policemen for each other? No. It means we become brothers and sisters in love for each other. Does that mean that it's the pastor's job to go around and tell everybody? No. It's all of our jobs. To hold one another accountable in Christ. So let's look at this really quickly. I love this, that Paul three times told Titus to confront sin and wrong teaching within the church. Three times he told him. And how was he to do it? First, he was to do it with severity. Chapter 1 and verse 13. For this reason, reprove them severely. He wants him to do it with severity. Now, can we talk about this word severity? Because again, in our culture today, this one doesn't go over real well. Wait a minute, Pastor. We're not supposed to be severe with each other. What does this word severely mean? What does severity mean? It means with an intensity. It means with a relentlessness. So we are to address wrong teaching. We are to deal with sin within the church. We're to deal with it relentlessly. We are not to stop. We are not to say, well, I brought it up once and they didn't listen, so I'm not going to bring it up again. No. We've got to deal with it with an intensity, with a severity. Why? Because we need to take it seriously. Because sin in the church is infecting the whole church. Because wrong doctrine in the church is infecting the whole church. Right? What did Paul say about these false teachers in chapter 1? He said they are upsetting whole families, they are leading whole families astray. So we've got to take this seriously. We are just so afraid of confrontation. We're so afraid of hurting each other's feelings. We're so afraid of dealing with anything that we just come to church and we say hi and we smile and we shake hands and, 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 and we love on each other, but we won't say anything. We need to take sin seriously. If it's affecting one person in the church, it's affecting the whole church. And it's affecting our power, and it's affecting our testimony, and it's affecting our ability to transform our culture and to touch and change lives. There needs to be an intensity with which we deal with this within the church. The second thing was to deal with it with authority. Chapter 2 and verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Right? What is he saying? He's saying, don't let them ignore you. Don't let them blow you off. Speak with authority. What gave Titus authority? Well, it was delegated from Paul, so that was definitely the first thing that gave Titus authority. But the other thing that gave Titus authority was the Word of God. The Word of God carries all the authority with it. And so if we are addressing people with the Word of God, with the truth of the Word of God, then we carry with us an authority. And the third one was confidence. Chapter 3 in verse 8. He says, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. We have to be confident that if we do it God's way, we're going to experience God's reward. If we do it God's way, we're going to experience God's power. If we do it God's way, we're going to experience His favor, His blessing, His outpouring. We have to be confident of that. And if we are confident of that, then we will speak those things which are sound doctrine, and we will speak them confidently. Right? So we need an intensity. We need a severity within the church. We need an authority within the church. We need a confidence within the church to address these things. So, how do we address these things without being legalistic? Right? This is, this is important, right? Because we're not going to become a bunch of finger waggers. We're not going to become a, a a place where everybody feels condemned no we're supposed to build up right in 2 corinthians chapter 13 the only other place in the bible where paul uses this same word severity is when he refers to how he had to correct the corinthian church but he said this he said i did it with severity but i did it within my authority to build up and not to tear down think about that He confronted sin with an authority to build up, not to tear down. Which means if we do this right, we're building each other up. If we do this right, we're building up the church. If we do this right, we're more encouraged. We're stronger. We feel better. We got to do this right. We have an authority to build up, not to tear down. But here's the problem. Again, in our present culture, if you encourage anybody to consider transforming their behavior, if you encourage anybody to consider that their behavior might be sinful or wrong, in today's culture, they're going to be offended, they're going to call you legalistic, and they're just going to walk away and not want to talk to you anymore. Now, if we're being jerks, we got to deal with the fact that we're being jerks. But if we are doing this thing right and people are still walking away, then, man, we just got to pray for their soul. But if we're in this together as a church, and we're going to deal with these things, we're going to be real in the church, then we know that we're going to use our authority to build up. And that if somebody is talking to me about this, they're talking to me about this because they love me. And because they want the best for me. So how do we do this right? We know that even if we do it right, people are still going to call us legalistic. That's just human nature. But how do we do this right so that we can actually build people up and that we as a church can become better? You can see I've got a few points here in your notes. Again, let me go back to my first point, which is not in your notes, and that is this is for our Christian brothers and sisters, right? This is for people that we fellowship with and that we're in relationship with. This is not for people outside of the church. Unless it's an outside teacher who's teaching something false, and that false teaching has now made its way to one of our brothers and sisters in the church, then we can address that. Are you guys with me? All right? But this is within the church. This is for people that we are in relationship with. This is for people that are followers of Christ. If they're not followers of Christ, share the gospel with them. Lead them to Christ, and then we can see the Holy Spirit at work as we help lead them. But if the Holy Spirit's not at work within them... Changing their behaviors is not going to work, right? Let's just be honest. So how do we do this right within the church, within fellowship, within relationship? How do we do this right? Number one, we allow the word to change us first. We allow the word to change us first. Right? If, if we're just going to go around and deal with other people but not deal with ourselves, that's when we become legalistic. Right? That's what the Pharisees did. That's why uh, the, Jesus so berated the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Jesus said this Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We have got to let the word of God deal with us first before we try to help a brother or sister. That's the first step to doing this right, is that we're open. We're letting the word of God saturate our lives. We're letting good doctrine impact our behavior and our lifestyles. The second thing is be open to receive accountability, not just give it. Right, If you're one who just loves to give accountability to others, but the moment somebody gives it to you, you're like, oh, no, you don't have any right to speak to me. No, that's what makes us hypocrites. That's what makes us Pharisees. If we're going to give accountability, then we have to receive accountability. We all have to be in this together. Ephesians 5.21, Paul wrote to the church and said, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Right? That means that we're all subject to one another. All of us. Me. Listen, I know that I carry the title and the authority of pastor and that there is an anointing and a mantle that I wear to lead this church, but that does not make me off limits to being held accountable. Anybody in this church should feel comfortable that if you see me somewhere with wrong doctrine or you see me somewhere with a wrong behavior or a wrong attitude, you should feel more than comfortable correcting me and addressing that because we're all subject to one another. You guys with me on that? All right? We got to receive accountability, not just give it. The third thing, this is critical. Use scriptural truth, not personal convictions use scriptural truth not personal convictions all right if you're going to address somebody use the bible all right what did paul say about the bible he said that every scripture is inspired by god profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work all right the word of god is good for all of those things not our word The Word of God is good for all of those things. So if we're going to address somebody, let's address them with the Bible, not our personal convictions. Listen, if God has given you a personal conviction about what TV shows you watch, that's great, absolutely. You should listen to the Holy Spirit, and you should be obedient to the Holy Spirit and follow those convictions. But you should not be applying those convictions to other people's lives. That's when we get legalistic. Alright, so if we're going to address somebody, we're going to address them with scriptural truth. We're going to address them with good doctrine, not just our own personal ideas, right? You might have a conviction about what is appropriate dress and inappropriate dress. But that's not a scriptural truth, so don't be bringing that to people, alright? You guys, you guys following me on that? Okay. So we've got to use scriptural truth, not personal convictions. Number four, check the motivations of your hearts. Check the motivations of your hearts. Listen, if we're correcting somebody because our motivation is that it makes us feel better, if we're correcting somebody because our motivation is it makes us feel superior to that person, if we're correcting somebody because it somehow builds up our self-esteem, If we're correcting somebody because it feels like it gives us an identity, it gives us something to do, then don't do it. Check the motives of your hearts. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul told the church to speak the truth in love. Our only motivation should be to love somebody and to see them come into a greater place of where God wants them to be. That should be our only motivation. If you have any other motivation, keep it to yourself. And let God deal with the motives of your heart before you correct somebody. And finally, seek to teach, not to condemn. Let me have the worship team come back up today. Paul kept telling Titus, speak these things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak these things and correct people and encourage and reprove them. Speak these things, right? There was a a constant sense of what Paul was saying to Titus was teach good doctrine. Teach good doctrine. Why? Because teaching builds people up. Condemning tears them down. Teaching builds them up. Condemning tears them down. And so our goal is to build people up. And so what we don't want to do is sit somebody down and berate them for their behavior and wag our fingers at them and tell them how awful their behavior is. No, what we want to do is we want to sit somebody down and teach them good doctrine, teach them the word of God, teach them this is what the Bible says and this is the life that the Bible calls us to and then invite them to rise up to lay hold of the life to which he has called us. That's the difference between teaching and condemning. Are you guys with me on that? This is what the Bible has called us to. We are to address these things with severity, with authority, with confidence. We are to address these things in love. We are to address these things the right way. And if we will do it the right way, we will build one another up. We will grow as a church. We will be more influential in our community. And we will see more of the power of God at work in and through our church family because we were willing to address these things and deal with these things. This is hard teaching. I don't expect anybody to stand up and clap after this one. All right? I'm not here for your applause. I am not here for your applause. But I am responsible as your pastor to teach you the truth. Not just the fun scriptures, but the hard scriptures. And these are some hard ones today. And my only prayer is that I was faithful to the word of God and faithful to encourage you that this is who we are called to be as a church. Amen? Will you stand together with me? Let's pray. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we give this all to you. Lord, would you help us to be the church you've called us to be? Lord, would you give us a courage? Where we have lacked courage. Lord God, would you give us a love that breaks through all of our fears and insecurities? Lord, that we wanna love somebody, we wanna tell them the truth, but we're so afraid to. We're so shell shocked in this culture. Everybody just wants to cancel everybody and everybody just wants to walk away and leave and nobody wants to be accountable. Lord, would you just break through all of those fears? And just give us the courage to speak the truth in love. Lord, would you help us to understand the whole gospel, nothing more and nothing less. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to not add any more to the gospel. To not add any more to the gospel than what you made it to be. But Lord, also give us the strength to not let the gospel be anything less than it was supposed to be. Lord, I pray today that these words from the book of Titus would speak to our hearts. Oh, that the goodness of God has appeared. Salvation has been made available to all men. The grace of God is right before us. But Lord, you didn't stop there. You also called us to deny ungodliness, to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. You called us to engage in good deeds. You called us, Lord, to live a different way. So Holy Spirit, we make ourselves available. Lord, we are accountable to you and to each other that we will live according to these things and we will teach good doctrine. We will teach good doctrine. Lord, would you just get us into your word and then, Lord, would you get your word into us? Get us into your word and then, Lord, get your word into us that, Lord, we would be saturated in good doctrine. That, Lord, it would lead to good living in our lives. But, Lord, it would also help us to hold one another accountable in love. That we could all grow together and be built up together. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the praise for these things, Lord. Minister to our hearts today, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.